I think that God exists, right? And I build mm-hmm. this belief mm-hmm. belief uh, structure. Mm-hmm. It's starting to say, well, man, that that uh, that level looks a little faulty. Mm-hmm. So maybe I should kind of take that apart, right? Okay. And, try, and look at look at the okay. the screws yeah. and the nuts yeah. and the bolts yeah. and try to figure out if that f- seems shaky. Yeah. Right, wh- why? Why is it shaky? Mm-hmm. Or, or, oh, it's because I I'm missing this bolt, right? So mm-hmm. I need to plug that in there, mm-hmm. right? And maybe it's something that I'd never considered before. Sure. Um, yeah, I hear you. So okay, because ju- just by listening to the intro, I didn't know exactly what that meant. Yeah. So as a ph- you know philosophy guy, because there's the the guy uh, who's famous for that. Uh, deconstruction is this idea of uh, in philosophy at least like. Um, it has no meaning or something like that. I don't know. What's his name? Derrida. Oh, okay. uh, so yeah. that's why I was like, oh, what does he mean that? So I, I just didn't, yeah. didn't, didn't so he, gather from that what exactly it was. Right. So for me, it's probably the idea of, of again, unpacking. I, okay. I don't know if that's a perfect yeah. definition for okay. it. Uh, <clears throat> perhaps I need to also be thinking through how I would kind of more narrowly define that. But okay. it's it's trying to think through. Gotcha. Uh, these different beliefs or doctrines or concepts yeah. mm-hmm. that I maybe have held to my entire life. Why? Mm-hmm. Why Why am I thinking mm-hmm. uh, X about Y, right? Yeah. And which, again, I think, and this is why this is the, the second episode of mm-hmm. the podcast, mm-hmm. is because I think, mm-hmm. I, I tell my students, especially those who have background in science, yeah. that yeah. Uh, science asks how. Okay. And philosophy asks why. Okay. Right? And so I'm trying to kind of think through all of those uh, why beliefs, I suppose. Gotcha. So, so I suppose we should uh, make this official. So, hey, everybody. Welcome to Dan Talks, a podcast where I talk about stuff. On, th- on this episode, I'm talking to my friend and colleague, Jesse Emilio, about philosophy and how philosophy relates to everything. And so... I thought I would start by taking us back um, probably close to a decade ago, right? And we were sitting in uh, prolegomena and bibliology and seminary. And so we both started out as theology students, Mm -hmm. right? And kind of gung-ho, dead set on being these master theologians. And now here we are uh, both... uh, kind of living within the world of philosophy. Right. We, we teach philosophy. Uh, we, uh, you perhaps more so, but we both do some writing on philosophy. So describe your journey from being a theology mm. student uh, or a theologian <laughs> to being a philosophy professor mm-hmm. or kind of a <clears throat> professional philosopher. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. Actually, it was uh, over a decade ago, I think, because it was in uh, 2006 when I started seminary, okay. if I recall. So, yeah, um, and so um, describe my journey from theology to philosophy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, interesting. You called us theologians, you know, uh, but I guess... Uh, we were just seminary Wannabe, students. Wannabe, right? Yeah, Wannabe yeah, that's theologians. actually what came to my mind. <laughs> Wannabe theologian. Um, 
Aspiring. Remember, Aspiring. <laughs> yeah, and I remember that first day I, I met you in that class. Um, so anyway, yes. Um, so my journey, well, I went through seminary, and I, I did love theology. I still do. Um, I still do. Uh, I don't read as much on it as I do now because I'm reading a lot of philosophy. But I try. But I love the intersection between both. But uh, so yeah, I went through seminary. I, I felt I had the call to um, to be a pastor, and um, just was obsessed with that. Kind of like I'm obsessed with philosophy now. And um, so let me stop you there for a second. Yeah. You talk about call. Mm-hmm. So when you say you felt called to be a pastor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, how would you define that? And part of the reason I ask that is because it's my assumption that you no longer feel that call, right? Correct. So, so yeah. again, what do you mean by call, yeah. and how did that stop, uh, or, or, or when did that stop, or why did it change? Yeah, right. So I would understand a call as a uh, uh, partial, a, a strong, at least partly strong desire to do that so strong desire to to be a pastor um but then not just wanting to but maybe seeing other things fall in place too like uh maybe being affirmed by other christians to say hey you know you know you might be gifted in this area um also seeing that it was a good thing feasible that kind of thing and then just kind of not being able to want to do something else so that's how i would describe it for me uh that was my call and and i think it was real something was real about it i i guess i mean maybe god will call me to be a pastor and a a pastor one day um but uh yeah so so i went through seminary and i remember loving just studying doctrine and church history so much that uh, i um was like okay maybe maybe i want to be a professor in theology or church history um, and then so I was like, okay, what, what, what does God, does God want me to be a pastor? Does God want me to, um, you know, be, uh, be a professor, an academic, but, but I was largely thinking Christian schools at that time. And so, and then I was just like, well, let me just keep going, finishing up seminary, talking to different people. Uh, I, in, I would preach pretty, you know, a couple times a month and, um, I really did enjoy that. And, um, I actually... Um, candidated to be a pastor at a church. I forgot about that. Forgot about that. Yeah, Yeah. and then that (laughs) fell through. It looked like I was gonna, I was gonna go. It was gonna happen, and then they ended up selecting someone else or whatever. And then um, I wasn't crushed. Uh, Looking back, I'm very thankful it didn't work out. But um, so, so at that point, I was like, okay, I don't know what to do. This sort of fell through for the pastoring thing, and. I remember a guy named Mark Houston, whom you know also, the full-time philosophy professor at Schoolcraft College, which I, where I now teach. He uh, he was speaking. Uh, he was speaking on philosophy at the Plymouth Library, and I lived across the street in Plymouth from the Plymouth Library. And I have always had an interest in philosophy, even ever since I was a kid. I would, looking back, I think I had some philosophical thoughts and you know ideas and wondering if i'm the only person that exists (laughs) the weird stuff that philosophers talk about so then so i was like okay let me check out i like philosophy it's very similar to theology of course very different but so then i went to listen to mark houston give a talk and i enjoyed it and afterwards i talked to him like hey man i'm about to finish up seminary and i'm not sure what i'm gonna do is there anything in the community college arena that i might be able to 
do uh, is there any subject I could teach that you know of or whatever and uh, and I kind of said maybe world religions where he said yeah and then he said but maybe philosophy too <laughs> um, and then he was such a nice guy he invited me to the schoolcraft philosophy club and I went a few times um, and enjoyed it and so got to know Mark a little bit and then they opened up they had a kind of random last minute need for someone to teach logic and I had applied already and even though I didn't have a degree in philosophy I had had some philosophy in um, in seminary uh, from one of my heroes Patrick Smith <laughs> and um, uh, but he said well look we need someone kind of they were kind of desperate and they only had to have you only had to have so many graduate level classes or credits right. or whatever and that was enough and they said okay look we know your background's not in it but we'll check you out first semester we'll see how it goes and we'll go from there so I taught logic um, and it was uh, it was crazy because it was so difficult and I kind of felt I remember one night crying before class because I didn't understand <laughs> it yet in a few hours I had to go pretend that I understood it or at least uh, hopefully teach the students about it right. so I kind of, by God's grace, got through that semester, and I think I kind of fooled the students to. And, and obviously, I'm exaggerating a little bit. I, I learned a lot, but I would, you know, I didn't know that much about it, but I did know enough apparently to just get by, yeah. and it went well. I think the students kind of liked it, and then, so then they invited me back to teach intro to philosophy. I taught it, loved it, fell in love with philosophy. And then, then at that point, I was like, okay, I. And I had also taught Bible, actually, at another college, um, and I love that. So, But then at that point, I was like, okay, I love philosophy so much. I don't feel the desire to be a pastor okay. anymore. I was still, you know, a Christian and everything, but I felt that I love philosophy so much that I had to go back and get another master's. Went okay. to Wayne State, and I still teach at school. Right? Okay. So it's yeah. because – so it, it's almost like you fell backwards into a, into a teaching position a little bit and it was there that you began to love it and it was because of that that you then went on to pursue a second master's degree in philosophy correct and it that was, and it, then between continuing to teach and going back to school again that just kind of increased your right. love for the discipline yep. mm -hmm. okay okay so yeah I feel like I have kind of fallen backwards into it as well you had started teaching uh at schoolcraft college and then i think i finished seminary a little bit after you and you had indicated that uh or you told me that there was an opening and you kind of vouched for me and and mm -hmm. i think i <laughs> i think i had so my kind of academic philosophy career to that point was i'd taken an intro class in my undergrad I'd taken some kind of like upper level like readings class in my undergrad, mm. but I didn't care. I was a mm. business student. I didn't mm -hmm. care at all about philosophy. And then I took ethics in seminary. That was okay. that's it for <laughs> philosophy. Yeah. And so then but I knew that I wanted to teach. And again, I was kind of along the same lines as you. I was thinking it was gonna be New Testament or theology. That's what I wanted to teach at the time. Okay. When I, when I first got hired in at Schoolcraft. And so I thought, well, I'll, I'll get hired in. That'll be my, uh, you know, that'll be a, a resume bump mm -hmm. and give me some practice and then I can uh, go get my PhD and kind of move on. And 
uh, and so I, I remember I got hired in like two weeks before the winter term started, <laughs> and I had to teach logic and an intro class, okay. and Both. just, wow. I mean, talk about a ball buster. Right. I mean, I I, didn't, I never broke down into tears, <laughs> but I was literally prepping minutes before my class was about you know was about to start mm-hmm. and I'm I still rem- remember some of the faces of my students just n- you could tell that they knew that I was just kind of BSing my way through <laughs> some of this stuff uh, and so and maybe we'll talk about it some more later and I, I remember absolutely hating logic mm. in part because it's mathematical and I'm not not a great mathematician but now I've after teaching it a lot I've really come to uh, appreciate it and maybe even I could say I enjoy it mm-hmm. um, but and so then for me uh, I haven't gone on to get an, an entire master's degree in philosophy but I have done kind of the the, the required number of graduate level credits uh, mm-hmm. which actually just finished so nice. um, so let me ask you then as someone who uh, has been well h- how long have you been teaching um, this is my eighth year so I uh, started in uh, 2010 January okay. so once I finish this semester it'll be eight okay so once I finish the fall semester okay. so you've been teaching for about eight years uh, you have a master's degree in philosophy you are uh, considering uh, doctoral work in philosophy, yeah. so <clears throat> you are an academic philosopher, right? But you teach intro classes yeah. primarily, right? Yeah. To the to a large amount of of students who are not going to go on and be academic or professional philosophers, right? They're going to go yeah. on and be doctors, lawyers, business people, whatever. Right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, what... Uh, let's see, what am I trying to ask? Well, I guess the question is, why is philosophy important? Yeah. Why would you say, when you start a semester, right, or you start a class, uh, or whether it's at the beginning, the middle, the end, or all throughout, right, or, yeah. or as for the three people that are listening to this right now, right, <laughs> When you, why, and then they're thinking, why should I care right. about philosophy? Right. right. Why is philosophy important? Why should we care? Even, even you know, for the person that's out there that's listening that is a pastor yeah. or teaches English yeah. or uh, <clears throat> empties garbage cans or is a cook or, you know, whatever it is that they are, right? Why mm-hmm. should they care about philosophy and why is it important? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well. Or is it? Maybe. Maybe that's. Maybe that's the first question. <laughs> well, is it important? Absolutely. And if it is, yeah, why? It's very important. Um, and I think so. The question is, why is it important? So the question already seems to uh, be concerned about value, right? Mm. So if it's concerned about what's important, what matters, it seems to be that's entailing what, what what has value. So, um, so it's almost like the question. A person asking that question 
would think some things are important, right? Right. Maybe. So or some things have value. Yeah. And so why is philosophy one of them? Well, philosophy investigates what has value. That's among one of the, one of the main things it looks at. So it seems like if anything matters, then uh, it would appear that that lands a square into philosophy because philosophy deals with, among other things, the study the uh, and. The definition of philosophy is very complicated. I shouldn't say the definition if there's one, but among other things, philosophy deals with, you know, the study of the nature of value, um, but also the study of the nature of existence or reality and the study of uh, knowledge and then a bunch of other things. So I would say those are probably the main, main three and it emphasizes, of course, reason. So I guess that's part of... So if anything matters, then it appears... If thinking about what matters is important, then philosophy has to be important because it's thinking about what matters, what has value. So, and, and you asked about why you mentioned a pastor. So why, why would a Christian care? Well, I would really, anytime I talk about philosophy, I would want to kind of offer a caution to Christians. Because to be honest, many people in philosophy were former Christians, you know, yeah. and who are now atheists. So it's a bit, as I've said in the past, it's a bit of a graveyard for former religious people. That may, that's a that's probably that's an overstatement, but it is just a fact that many people in philosophy, it's kind of unfriendly. It can be to Christians, um, yeah. but well, because and but, I know too that we've we've both had a conversation with someone that is close to us, yeah. right? Yeah, that was really concerned about right us being. And living yeah. and working within the world of philosophy because of that exact yeah. reason, right? right? Because of it being a uh, potential and perhaps even probable graveyard for Christian mm-hmm. belief or whatever. But sorry, what no, it's all right. yeah. So, um, so, so that's my you know. It's like it's not like when I, when I'm trying to talk about the value of philosophy, which I will and do. It's not like I'm trying to say, hey, to every Christian, go out and try and take a class. Maybe right. that's the last thing you want to do. It depends on the professor, right? right. It depends where and whatnot, right. and it depends on the person and their theological grounding and stuff. So, um, so it's 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 kind of dangerous in that sense. However, that's the I was assuming that philosophy was academic philosophy there, kind of, um, but actually philosophy. What it actually is um, doesn't seem to me ultimately to depend on academia. Like, uh, so we should, probably should make a distinction between academic philosophy and philosophy per se. Okay. And again, f- philosophy per se or philosophy in and of itself, whatever that is, is going to really depend on your worldview. So Christians definitely have a worldview, and Christians are going to think then ultimately philosophy probably has to do with god right. like like augustine excuse me famously said that um the true philosopher is the lover of god hmm. so so i would say to answer these questions i i have to like kind of get more specific on what i'm talking about maybe academic philosophy philosophy or the discipline of philosophy versus what it actually is itself but again philosophers are going to disagree on what it is right. because i just said i'm a christian so it probably has something to do with god okay so that's why um so, so it may really be important for christians who want to love god love wisdom and use their mind okay. and reason to do so so Good. it seems like a christian would be really interested right. in right. that yeah. so you, you said that um the, the definition of philosophy per se might 
be dependent on your worldview, right? Absolutely. So can you give us an example? So you talked kind of about what it might be if you were a Christian. Yes. Right? Can you give us, and that is that it, it may and does or should pertain to God, right? Right. So if you're not a Christian yeah. or if you are um, uh, a Muslim mm-hmm. or a uh, Hindu, right? Yeah. D- does that... Right, because those would still be theistic religions, right? Does it change there in your mind? And then as well as the the non-religious or the, the atheist or whatever. Religion. Yeah. Yeah, it would seem to me that uh, a Muslim, a Hindu, an atheist, if they're going to be consistent with their other beliefs, which I think would be one of the aims of philosophy, is to be consistent in your thinking and whatnot. If they're to be consistent, then they would probably need to have some theory of what philosophy is, kind of like I was just saying for Augustine. So, and you asked for an example, one that I've been thinking about lately is the logical positivists. So from the first half of last century, the the Vienna Circle, so philosophers like Carnap and A.J. Ayer and, and some others are called logical positivists, and they took the view that the only statements that have meaning that are meaningful are those that you can verify empirically. <laughs> so can you, can you verify that empirically? Actually, that's a very excellent point. That's why you are a <laughs> philosopher, my friend. Yeah, you cannot. <laughs> I don't think you can. Right. How could you verify that right. statement? Right. Um, that the only statements that have meaning or whatever. Uh, so, so that's a, so those guys, that group, um, understood philosophy not is what I would say right. is studying right. or as loving God or, or, or being a lover of God. And in particular, that brand of philosophy automatically excluded insanely important things like metaphysics, ethics, and theology. So it's not like <laughs> all those statements about ethics about that I should not that I should love my wife or right. or statements about God, God is love or or what have you. It's not that they're all false. It's they don't mean anything so Mm. i mean so okay that's a nice way to get god out of the picture but it doesn't seem to work as you pointed out it's self-refuting but uh, but my point was that that's an example of how philosophy what it is per se will depend on your worldview okay yeah so another question that i have that that you had kind of touched on uh a few minutes ago is you had said that maybe Maybe philosophy is is not a great idea, uh, and, and maybe I'm maybe I misheard you. So you can correct mm-hmm. me if I if I did. That that philosophy may not be a great idea for Christians to be kind of depending on their theological grounding or whatever. Right? Yeah. And so what I heard, right, or or, or what I uh, inferred from yeah. that was that uh, because philosophy is potentially dangerous, yeah, yeah. right, and could potentially lead to the graveyard, that that means that it could be at least potentially um, or, or maybe ought not be pursued by all people, right? So Maybe, my, maybe the discipline, right, of okay. philosophy. So my, my question yeah, is, yeah. especially as I'm trying to think through... Right, so I guess when I when I'm thinking about deconstruction and reconstruction, mm-hmm. right, the reason I want to deconstruct is because the belief that I have feels incomplete, 
right? Or faulty, right? And okay. so I, so I want to be brave enough yeah. and humble enough to ask mm-hmm. hard questions, right? Right. And to see if what I believe can can hold or stand up, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. And so let, let's say I'm, uh, you know, a uh, random Christian dude, mm-hmm. right? And I make these different claims about, I believe God exists, and I believe that, uh, you know, I believe in the Trinity and, yeah. and believe in Christ and that he came and died and rose again, blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah, blah. Uh, but if I am unable or, or if, if I go to study philosophy and it challenges those beliefs, or maybe we could even call them presuppositions, right? Mm-hmm. It challenges those things uh, and so that they crumble, mm-hmm. and so that that person uh, does end up in the graveyard. Yeah. I don't know if better is the right word, but is it better that that's the result rather than them affirm or believe something that they don't really understand uh, or that they may not really believe um, mm-hmm. or, or may it may be a, I don't know what the right analogy would be but like a just a very you know loosely held belief mm-hmm. right that if uh, with any pushback or any kind of deeper inquiry mm-hmm. just it explodes or implodes. Mm-hmm. So I guess what would, <laughs> yeah, no, and again, I maybe, I, maybe I didn't frame it well, but. No, it's a difficult question. So is it this that you're asking? So, you know, it's another thing you said, what's better, this person doing philosophy and asking these hard questions, like you said, and philosophy does ask that, and then they end up in the graveyard, or do they have this kind of loose sort of. Like, kind of, like oh, I'll just believe in God because I'm too afraid, yeah. and then like. Mm-hmm. Do you do you really believe in God, right? Mm-hmm. Or do you just kind of believe in your... And I know mm-hmm. it, it would always be our conception of God, right? But yeah. just like your kind of, I guess you could say, weak conception of mm-hmm. who or what God is mm-hmm. or, or X doctrine that you might believe in, right? That you haven't really pushed in to test its yeah. uh, cogency right. or whatever. Yeah. Man, that's a tough question, and, and I guess um, I think I understand it, and I think I personally do wrestle with those sorts of things because it sounds like in what you're saying, like there's uh, there's two things that are there's one thing that's bad being in the graveyard, so giving up the faith, right, right. that's obviously bad, right? And and it seems to me like I mean taking understanding Christianity as I do that is the worst place, right? right. Because I think God is good and my savior and I need him and it's the kind of only hope for 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 eternity um, that seems to be one of the worst things to is to to give up on on that if in fact it is true right so that's a, a very bad indeed one of the worst now the other thing you said the other pole of this kind of dichotomy is is something really bad. It seems problematic too. If maybe, um, if are that is that person, if they're a real Christian, uh, are they a real Christian? Like, or, or me, because a lot of people sort of don't have these, they haven't really tested, their beliefs haven't been through the fire at all, maybe, kind of. 
and they're sort of weak in their faith. But then again, of course, that doesn't mean they're not Christians or right. whatever, right? right? So, I mean... Which, of course, I suppose that entails the question of what does it mean right. or, or what are the yeah. requirements for... Right, and which, that's obviously important. So, right. well, um, I guess to answer it um, in a way to say, yeah, it's, it's one of the worst, if Christianity is true, to be excluded from that. But it's also bad, um, it seems, to never be willing to kind of ask some of those tough questions about how do we know what we know. Um, and maybe certain Christian groups, there's a lot of fear there. And, and that, you know, maybe the faith, uh, there's not much of a doctrinal, there's not much substance there. That seems bad as well. Yeah. But I guess it doesn't seem as bad. Just be honest. To be honest, it's not as bad as giving up the faith, it seems. If that person is genuinely a Christian. But maybe they have this such a weak faith that they're not even truly a believer, which then it's equally bad because they're excluded from Christ as well. So, and again, and I think that 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 helps. Maybe let me try to rephrase it too. So let's say, let's say I believe I'm a genuine believer. Okay. Right? But I am afraid... Uh, to pursue philosophy because I'm afraid that I might then reject or leave the faith, right? Right. Doesn't that then demonstrate that I may not have as deep or vibrant of a faith as I maybe claim to have? I see. Or, like... Again, I, I it's, I'm struggling. So yeah. maybe if I give an example mm-hmm. too, like a real life example, I have a friend who grew up in the church, grew up in a Christian family, probably at least at one point professed to be a believer, right, or to be a Christian, and kind of when he hit college, he started to kind of question things, mm-hmm. right, and I and I have told him to his face, like, I don't, I don't want you to not be a Christian. Mm-hmm. But I would rather have you know what it is that you believe and own that mm-hmm. than just be a, a maybe a Sunday Christian, right? Mm-hmm. Or someone mm-hmm. that is just kind of uh, um, maybe says that they are, but again, if if pushed or... Or when the rubber meets the road, they're just unsure about it. Mm-hmm. Again, I don't know if that <laughs> makes any sense what I'm trying to say here or not. So, okay, so what about that friend? So you have that, you know, so, so say there's a person like that, right? Right. I mean, yeah, I think the best way to is to handle that those sorts of things each on an individual basis, you yeah. know, right? Because yeah. every person's different. Right. Um, and we all have our own sins and brokenness and like areas of vulnerability. So, yeah, man, maybe some people aren't ready to do, do to read books um, by atheists. Maybe, yeah. and that seems okay, right? Because it, you know I don't have the verses memorized, but it seems like scripture um, kind of dictates that we address people um, where they're at. I'm thinking of the Thessalonians passage about something, you know, some people are um, unruly and you rebuke them and some people are uh, 
discouraged. Yeah, I think it's Second Thessalonians five, but I, I don't like when people excite a verse but don't know it. But but it seems like the scriptures indicate. Um, and oh, well, let me say, speak from this that I do know is that um, Jesus seems to interact with people differently. Hmm. You know, depending on where they're at. So I, I think you gotta follow the master on that. Yeah. Use wisdom and um, sort of act in a way that's consistent with your Christianity if you're a Christian. And so sort of um, encourage them if they're doubting. You know, the Bible says have mercy on those who are doubting. Did you guys talk about that verse in no. Jude? No. Yeah, it would be an apt verse to think about in this context. So it seems like, you know, there's that, that the one who approached Jesus, you know, I believe, help my unbelief. So we're all at different areas. So, yeah, it's definitely, philosophy is definitely not for everyone. And we ought to be sensitive to where people are at. Um so in other words, you wouldn't, if someone came to you and they said, you know, I, I feel like maybe I, I should, yeah. you know, investigate philosophy, but I'm scared. Yeah. Would you say, well, then don't? Or would you say, well, this is going to be a great way to have your belief paradigms tested? Yeah. Because well, right? I certainly feel like right. that's happened to yeah. me. I mean, both as a theology student yeah. and a philosophy student, yeah. right? That's, yeah. uh, that's happened mm. you know, in, in, in my life. Yeah. Now, maybe it happened and I, I wasn't necessarily uh, looking for it to happen, right? But if someone, uh, like, or maybe I can just say for me, if someone came to me and said, man, I, I'm hearing about this philosophy right. thing, I'm thinking maybe I should investigate it, but I'm scared to death yeah. that it's going to lead me down a road that maybe I don't want to... Right. That, that as I'm sitting here right now, I, I wouldn't want to end up being an atheist, right? right. So, I think I would say you have, you have to go for it, right? Yeah. And you have to test well, what you believe and push yeah, on those yeah, limits yeah. and then ultimately, I think, trust God to... Mm-hmm. to uh, help you, I guess, as you are thinking through all these hard issues. I don't know if I would want to. Some people may need to be coddled for a while, yeah. you know? Like, uh, if they really thought that they should, I would probably introduce them to a Christian philosopher okay. and that kind of thing, okay. you know? Because, man, maybe they're, they're probably not ready. Um, I guess for me, I think about it this way. So, my daughter, um, you know, I have two kids. Rosie's three, and Brayden is uh, two months. So I every night I teach, just about every night, I pray with Rosie, and I read a Bible story, talk about it, and we have she's memorizing verses. That's my first priority. Right. You know I, of course I'm teaching her to think and use logic, which actually is philosophy, right? But my first priority is to sort of uh, introduce her to Christ. So that's the most important thing to me. Um, and so that's more important, as I understand it, than learning about, uh, say, um, the specifics of what exactly knowledge is. But right, then again, right. the, the, the importance of what knowledge is is absolutely important to the Christian faith right. because the Bible seems to say we know a lot of things. So, right. so But for me, it seems like Christ and, and the gospel nature of God is absolutely most important and most central. So I'm going to focus on that with my daughter. Of course, I'm going to teach her logic and if I can, even philosophy too, in appropriate ways, but sort of 
the most important thing is the Lord. So that's what I'm going to aim at. So, so if there was that person, I would, depending on where they're at, I would, might treat it the same way. I'd say, look, maybe don't worry about it for a while. Maybe yeah. get take some doctrine classes or read and pray. And, and I might ask them, well, why do you feel you should do philosophy or whatever? Um, and maybe they have some good reason. I'll say, okay, cool. Well, you know, here's a couple things you could do. And then uh, kind of lead them, maybe talk with them, like your approach as you're doing these podcasts, yeah. right? Conversational yeah. dialogue. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and I, because I'm not opposed to, and I, I don't want it to be, for it to be thought that if someone were to come to me and, and say, well, I'm thinking about philosophy, where do I start? I wouldn't say, well, you should go read out the atheist, right? Yeah, right. Okay. So I, I, I'm fine referencing uh, a Grutice or a Craig yeah, or a yeah, planting sure. or whatever, right? Yeah, I wasn't saying you'd throw them to the lines. So, <laughs> but, but what about even for those that are like, ooh, I, you know, I yeah. don't, uh, okay. even just, even just the, the notion yeah. of this word or idea called okay. philosophy, right? Because probably that yeah. misinterpreted <laughs> Bible, right, about... Colossians. Yeah, that talks yeah. about, you know, philosophy. And so if anything philosophical is right. of the world and, and yeah. of the devil and all yeah. those, right? right. Um, so, yeah, I'm totally okay, okay. with... Uh, and, and so probably that's what I would do. And not that I wouldn't... Uh, again, depending on the person, I wouldn't say don't don't not read mm-hmm. right an atheist or someone who's going to push on you maybe in a way that might make you a little bit uncomfortable but i would certainly be okay saying maybe let your primary resources be or a healthy supplement yeah. to be people that may share your uh you know christian values mm-hmm. or whatever that are trained to think philosophically sure so sure. Okay. now we um we, we've kind of addressed uh kind of i think one of the reasons why people avoid philosophy right because mm-hmm. it may lead to that that graveyard and maybe we can explore that more talk about that more but if philosophy uh Maybe both the academic discipline and philosophy per se, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If if those things are so important, yeah. Uh, and, and maybe let's let's um, let's maybe stick with the church, right? The okay. Big C Church, okay. within the the people that make up Big C Church, right? Mm-hmm. If philosophy is so important, why do you think it is largely avoided? Mm. By those who are not uh, professional philosophers, uh, and maybe you know your professional theologian mm-hmm. that also mm-hmm. dabbles in mm-hmm. philosophy. Mm-hmm. Why are they largely avoided? Right. So if if, yeah. if you you know if you went to church on Sunday, right. and you gave a survey to everyone, right, yeah. and you you said, uh, you know, why don't you? You know why? Why aren't you reading? Why aren't you regularly studying philosophy? Right? What do you think the reasons would be for that? Or, or what have you come across mm-hmm. as far as why people are avoiding mm-hmm. uh, studying and thinking more deeply about philosophy? Mm-hmm. Well, um, something's come to mind, and maybe fear. You know, um, 
Maybe people are afraid to question some of their own beliefs. Um, and so there's, uh, I think that's probably part of it. Um, Why do you think they're afraid to question their beliefs? Well, you know, it's possible that... Or, um, or maybe you could even just speak for yourself. If, if and when you've been yeah. afraid well, to question your beliefs, right. why... Right, good. Why was that? Because uh, I take comfort in them and love them very much and wouldn't want to be wrong. Um, so... W- what are some of the beliefs that you have uh, questioned, both well, um, over the last decade and yeah. even recently? Well, I've questioned... Existence of God, <laughs> <laughs> the big one. Um, I've well, I won't tell your pastor that. <laughs> um, you know, I've questioned. Uh, let's see. Why? Um, Why have you questioned oh, God's well, existence? Well, because man, it was when I was going to Wayne State, right? And I was going through um, a class, and I just was getting a little frustrated with Christians. Actually, hmm. that was a part of it, and I'm like, and. Other Christians I, that were in the class, no, or no, other Christians who were not kind of in that world a little bit, just because okay. I felt like they were closed-minded, not willing to explore some of those things, and I kind of felt like, look, I'm getting out of my Christian bubble. It's a little frustrating that um, so many don't, and so all right. So, so a, there, there, like there a, it is. Why don't many go out? Well, there's comfort uh, in that, um, and I think maybe it's um. Uh, an attitude um, that maybe some fundamentalist Christians have in more fundamentalist circles where there's, um, I think, uh, perhaps a misunderstanding of what philosophy is and maybe maybe they didn't understand that distinction I was making between that discipline and the thing Paul warns against, vain philosophy, right. um, and uh, sort of using your reason to investigate um, truths and, and loving God and loving wisdom which seems a very Christian thing so maybe they haven't heard a kind of a nuanced definition right. and so there's perhaps they just don't understand look there's a Christian way of putting this and I'll be honest Dan I did not understand the distinction that I just said between the discipline and philosophy per se if indeed that is right but I think it was right, <laughs> right. <laughs> I had did not Dan I taught philosophy for like six six seven years before i understood that yeah. fully and um and i even tweaked around my definition of philosophy to say it was the academic discipline right. that investigates right. such right. and such questions when actually okay fine you just define the discipline but again what about the thing but but then again it's not so clear i mean it doesn't surprise me that it took so many years to kind of get that um but it's kind of exciting to me that I think I have, I think that is correct, that there's a distinction. And it really does matter and depend on your worldview. Um, let me let me say this too, Dan. You asked about my experience in questioning things. I think part of it is psychological too. It, it seems good to get out of your own Christian circle a little bit to explore things. That yeah. doesn't seem to me wrong and if we have a wonderful worldview, it would seem, as we do, it would seem to stand up to scrutiny, as I think it does. Um, but part of it is 
being in an environment in a world where almost everyone is an unbeliever. <laughs> okay, right. so and Blaise Pascal talks about that. Look, there's more than it, when we formulate our beliefs. It is not just whatever we think is the good argument or whatever. I mean, I think that should be part of it, obviously. But we often formulate our beliefs because we're afraid of losing this person's approval hmm. or we want to fit in. Yeah. And I know I was influenced by that too. So I'm just trying to be honest yeah. and say that is part of, that was part of my struggle too, I think. And then I, I was reading Blaise Pascal, his work, The Ponces, which I recommend to any Christian. It's fantastic. It's so quotable. Um, anyway, Pascal talks about that there's other things going on when people reject the Christian faith, reject God, and it's a spiritual matter. And why, not trying to understand things from a Christian worldview, there's spiritual warfare going on. Yeah. And so to interpret reality in light of that would indicate that we are often influenced in non-rational ways. Hmm. And by the way, if I can add, the president of the Skeptics Society, uh, Michael Shermer, you've probably heard of him, yep, yep. he pointed out in an interview uh, on PBS I saw of him that we often formulate our beliefs in non-rational ways and then justify them after the fact hmm. a little bit. In other words... He and he was willing to include his atheism. In he was, yeah. and I respected him yeah, for that. I appreciate that. that yeah. um, and he, in fact, said he, he was, he was another one of those Christians. Yeah. And, and I think people can sometimes be led away in the science community as well as philosophy, too. Well, anyway, he said, Michael Shermer, that um, he liked the way those people reasoned better. He liked, that, mm. he liked that better. He just was attracted how they argued. And, and, he, and, and he was admitting, I don't want to put words into his mouth, but he seemed to admit what he was saying most of us do. And I, in fact, think that's true. Mm. Um, but that doesn't mean arguments are not important. Right. It seems we just need to be aware that there's these other factors, especially um, in the world that is uh, against Christ in, in, in many ways, even though they look like they're the elite, the smart ones. Right. We have to be very careful. Okay, so fear mm -hmm. is, is largely... Uh, a reason that people avoid uh, thinking deeply about philosophy mm -hmm. and studying philosophy. And, and I suppose even if we say people are afraid or, or the idea of not being comfortable, right, is, mm -hmm. is probably could be also lumped within yeah. the fear part, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid to question. Why am I afraid to question? Yeah. Well, I'm afraid to question yeah. because... Mm -hmm. It makes me uncomfortable. Sure, sure. And, Those I, go and hand I hand. don't, and I don't want yeah. to be uncomfortable. Which yeah. I, in the last episode uh, that I did with my friend Paul on certainty and doubt, right, we talked somewhat about the the role that comfort plays mm -hmm. in our in our ability to question what we're doing, and. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and again, going, kind of going back to what we talked about too, I think. I would want to, if someone came to me and said that they were afraid, right? I mm -hmm. would want to to push on them mm -hmm. to to and ask them, right? Maybe that doesn't mean I'd say you must go read, you know, all these <laughs> philosophy texts and lose your faith, but mm -hmm. to push on them about w what makes them feel uncomfortable mm -hmm. about 
maybe even just at, ver, you know verbally asking or, or, or wondering about God's existence, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think just because I wonder about that doesn't mm-hmm. mean I don't think God exists, right? Sure, sure. Or, or even if I, yeah. right, I doubt it for some yeah. reason, yeah. right? That doesn't mean I actually think He doesn't exist, and certainly mm-hmm. that that my my belief or not doesn't necessitate his mm-hmm. existence or not so mm-hmm. or his existence isn't contingent mm-hmm. on my belief so right. um, okay so so maybe we would want or I won't speak for you I'll speak for me mm-hmm. I would want to encourage people to uh, to if nothing else ask themselves why they're afraid mm-hmm. to yeah. kind of push into philosophy and why they kind of fear, specifically why they fear being uncomfortable, mm-hmm. right? And, and why does that scare them mm-hmm. so much? So, okay. So, um, every, every semester, uh, I, I begin each semester with my philosophy students and, and actually my, the the religion students I have as well, I start every semester imploring them to embrace open-minded humility, Mm -hmm. right? So most of these uh, students are coming in, because I teach, the majority of classes I teach are intro, Mm -hmm. right, Mm -hmm. to philosophy. And so the majority of them, maybe they had a class in high school, probably most of them, uh, as they admit, most of them have not done much mm. philosophical thinking mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. and yet I try to demonstrate to them that they are probably coming into uh, class with uh, many presuppositions right about all, 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 all things philosophy right mm-hmm. and so right. I try to encourage them to have open-minded humility which the way I define that is just to be uh you know, humble enough to admit that they, the 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 position they hold on any specific thing, right? Just that they might be wrong, right? So they may come into class believing God exists. Mm-hmm. Well, you might be wrong about that, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. They may come into class believing God does not exist, right? And you might be wrong about that, right? Mm-hmm. Just to kind of allow yourself or or to embrace enough humility, mm-hmm. right, to come into class and say. I may have this presupposition, but I'm willing to, to kind of open my hand enough to kind of test its uh, fortitude, mm-hmm. if you will. And then I also say that because I think if if I employ, which I admittedly am not always great at, but if I employ open-minded humility, then as we, or as I at least am trying to Adopt and employ this kind of dialogical approach to uh, life. That if I employ this concept of open-minded humility, that's going to make me much more approachable, right? And it's going to be, it's going to allow my opponent, for lack of a better word, right, my conversant, uh, to to consider me more approachable, to be mm-hmm. willing to dialogue and interact with me, right? Mm-hmm. So. Uh, would you also think that open-minded humility is an important concept to embrace? And then 
kind of regardless of your answer, uh, <laughs> why or why not? Yeah. Okay. Um, man, it seems um, that it certainly is very important, especially to the study of philosophy, you know. Um, uh, to be open-minded seems to be a good thing in the sense that, uh, I mean, why do we always assume that the way we view things are always correct and always the best way to look at it, you know? It seems like uh, that humility should admit, it has to admit, I think, uh, that we could be wrong. Now, does that mean I could be wrong about the importance of open-minded humility? Um, man, <laughs> it means you could be wrong about anything. <laughs> so... Now, the, the, the worry with that is, I think, that we Christians think we're not wrong. <laughs> so, um, and we, uh, we believe in the, the, the truths of the faith. But it seems to me that, um, that if we agree and if we believe in God, then necessarily we do not believe that we are God. <laughs> right. You know, if I know anything, I know I'm not God. But if I'm not God, then it seems that it's possible for me to be wrong. Um, it seems like there's only one being that it, for whom it is not possible right. Right. to be wrong, and that's God. So I'm not God, so I could be wrong. Um, and so it seems uh, appropriate to admit that because it seems necessarily true. And, and doesn't, doesn't the Bible, first of all, the Bible, I think, does incur it certainly encourages humility, um, and there um, I think the ESV in um, speaks of being open to reason. I shouldn't quote passages without knowing them, <laughs> but you didn't tell me about these questions beforehand. But uh, but um, but think of the person who is refusing to listen to someone, and they're refusing to even listen. That just seems seems wrong from a Christian standpoint too, because well, we don't always see things. We're imperfect. We're sinful, and um, it seems very much appropriate to admit that we might be wrong. And that, that kind of makes me want to trust the Lord more. Um, but, of course, someone will say, the astute questioner that you are was probably thinking, well, what if you're wrong about the Lord or whatever? And I say, um, I'm willing to explore that. And I have. <laughs> right. And I do think um, there um, that I'm not. And, and it's reasonable, it seems to me, to believe. But, yeah, I go through those times of having doubt for sure. Uh, seems part of the part of the game. So you, you talked about some things uh, that you've you've questioned, right? You just said mm -hmm. that you you know, doubted God's existence and that you consider that to be a uh, well. I think as you said to me a couple of days ago, a properly basic belief, <laughs> right? Right, right. So. Uh, what are some ideas or concepts, uh, either philosophical or even theological, mm -hmm. right, that you have because of your continued pursuit of philosophy and theology, you have changed your mind oh. on? That maybe, you know, so again, we we first met yeah. a decade yeah. or so ago, right, yeah. in, in, in seminary. Uh, I would say that we have done some changing right, right over this decade yeah so now that doesn't mean it has to be a, a, a 
belief or position you held from a decade ago. It could be you might have just changed a belief on something today mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. two weeks ago, right? But if you can think of some things, right, mm-hmm. what are some things that you previously held to that you no longer hold to or you have adjusted it or modified it in some way, mm-hmm. um, which knowing you is is not done on a whim, right, but is done <laughs> after a fervent yeah. study and thought. Mm-hmm. You know, um, one thing that um, I was a firm uh, young earth creationist, um, mm-hmm. going through seminary, and and uh, and I'm not willing to defend that view, so yeah. I've changed. I'm not saying, um, I'm not sure what the correct view is, right. um, but... I'm not quite... I have practical reasons why I don't want to defend that view. Right. I'm not certain it's true. Are you I'm willing not, to, to say what those practical reasons are? Yeah, I'm willing to say what those... <laughs> I think I... It, I'm not sure it's true. Okay, so if, to persuade someone, like an unbeliever, right. say, that you know the Earth is 10,000 years old or less, or the entire universe, it seems to me to be... And I do respect those. I respect, um, I think there are thoughtful, intelligent uh, people who, who do embrace, you know, like a young Earth view and young universe even. Um, but um, but to me, it would, I don't want to defend that because it's not necessary to be a Christian. Hmm. So, and I mean, why would I defend a view that I'm not sure is true and that doesn't seem to... Um, uh, it's not, as we say in philosophy, a necessary condition for being right, a Christian. Right. What is a necessary condition for being a Christian? Well, you have to believe in God right. and Christ <laughs> and the resurrection and, 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 and those sorts of things and that we're sinners and stuff. But it doesn't... So in that environment where I'm surrounded by unbelievers almost all the time, I have tried to narrow a little bit what I'll argue. Hmm. And it doesn't... Um, and so I don't want to try and defend that since uh, it's more important to defend the existence of God and truths that are have to be believed to be a Christian. So it's kind of like, to me, defending that. Um, but I'm not saying it's unimportant. I'm not saying that. It's important. It's an important theological question. And, um, but, uh, oh, yeah, I think it's kind of like defending. Why would I make too much of say say if I'm a cessationist I'm not right. you know with the gifts of the spirit but if I were a cessationist or whatever that's not the first thing I'm gonna try and, <laughs> you know right. like so what okay I've showed you that the bible teaches that the gifts of the spirit have ceased right. contrary to what I right. think um, okay that's not um, necessary to believe now um, of course if I convince someone that there's a God which I'm very interested in that and if written a little bit on it with uh, our book. Um, again, if I convince you, that doesn't mean you're a Christian either. Right, it just right. means you believe a certain proposition. Right. But um, that doesn't make you a, a believer if you believe that Christianity is true. Uh, you have to place your faith in Christ. So, But notice it's a necessary condition to believe in Christianity, however we define that, and say God and Christ, in order to be a Christian. Yeah. But, um, but just believing it 
that it is true actually doesn't get you there. So I guess that's an issue that I have changed. Okay. There's a few others, um, but that is an issue that I've changed. And, and I'm not saying for sure um, about what the correct view is on Genesis right. and, and those sorts of things, but I'm just saying that's an issue that... Um, that I had read some people like Wayne Grudem, Francis Schaeffer, um, Millard Erickson, and and there seemed to be um, some decent arguments for you know maybe not not accepting uh, Young Earth, but I'm I, that's not what I read a lot since I'm mostly focused on um, philosophy. So what's and, a maybe a philosophical view that okay. you have adjusted or? have rejected or affirmed that you used to reject or something something like that yeah well the, the uh, philosophical view that I have um, rejected so it's interesting because before like I didn't know that much about philosophy right. so it's hard to say um, and I'm trying to think um or even something, you know, while you were in your graduate program yeah. that you in thought... Seminary or, or uh, Wayne State? At Wayne State, yeah. where you thought, uh, you know, maybe going into a class, oh, yeah, I'm thinking this yeah. about okay. this, you know, issue or concept. And then by then, even by the end of the class, you're like, oh, my word, I'm not, <laughs> yeah. I'm not there at all, you know? Um, if you can't think of anything, Yeah, that's, man, that's I fine. can't. Like, I, I have... Um, I have, this is, a, it's funny because the answer I'm going to give is not really what you're asking, but I have <laughs> refined more my view of God as uh, as the moral lawgiver, and okay. I've understood that better, and okay. so going through classes and debating, arguing with people on that, and actually being laughed at sometimes for hmm. taking that view, seriously. Um, I think I that's have, okay, because I, yeah. I had said... Even one that's been modified, <laughs> oh, okay. right? Thank so, you. yeah. So, it's, yeah. So, you, you know, you may have had this conception of God, and it's been, it's been more, it's been, it's not been clarified yeah. or, yeah, or whatever. So, yeah. can can you maybe yeah. give us a brief nutshell on what you mean by God being the moral code or moral lawgiver? Yeah. So, I mean, um, that God is. Um, the infinite good. Okay. And so, uh, what is goodness would have to be understood having this correct theory, or having this theory would have to be understood in relation to God since his nature determines the good. So I would always kind of say, yeah, God is good um, and believe it. But now I think I've understood that more um, in seeing that here's maybe where I modified and I didn't kind of understand before so when we say you know this is you know rape is wrong or love is good I uh, didn't realize that the language we use doesn't have to have theological meaning so like if I say rape is wrong what I mean is rape is something that we are obligated not to do hmm. that's what that means however having this view now and understanding God is the infinite good who then imposes obligations on us by his commands I now understand obligations and I think I understood this before but not so 
clearly. So his obligations, or our moral obligations, are the same thing, on my view, as God's commands. But what I have refined my view on is understanding, oh, look, moral semantics, so the language of morals, like rape is wrong or whatever, doesn't have to be theo- have theological meaning to be actually theologically grounded. So mm-hmm. that is something that I have refined and learned that I didn't know, I guess, before. So it's that there's a, a kind of like gap almost between our moral language and what I think is actually true, that all true moral statements are grounded somehow in God. Though there's a disconnect between the language and the ontology or the metaphysics. And that's perfectly acceptable because I think that can be shown to be true. So that's getting pretty technical, I know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. and you, you said you got some pushback and got laughed at. Mm-hmm. What, what were the yeah some of the counter arguments that people were so pushing back on you? Well, this one individual was saying, "Well, look, how can, you know?" I was trying to say, "Well, God is a moral lawgiver. God is um, good." And he said, "Okay, so do you?" This one individual, do you mean when you say God is? Do you mean by good? Do you mean the same thing as God? And I said, "Oh yeah," and and then he said, "Well, okay, I have this argument here. I can say." So that is a good action. That's a morally good action. Which, if I said God means good, and me, good means God, then that would be like saying that is a God action. But that doesn't make any sense. Hmm. So you can't, as I understand it, substitute God for good. You can't do that. Okay. Um, because you end up, but those because those two words don't mean the same thing. But that's okay. Because I could understand still that what grounds or what is behind those that our moral language, when we're speaking truthfully, is really truths about God. Hmm. So that's maybe a little okay. more than you uh, <laughs> were asking, but that's some area I've refined. Yeah. Okay. So it seems that uh, thinking philosophically about God is a fairly uh, you could you would consider that to be a fairly important philosophical concept to consider right god yeah yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> what else right is so uh, again if i'm coming to you and i'm saying hey jesse yeah. uh, i want to investigate philosophy where should i start mm. what, what would you say mm-hmm. would be the, the maybe the first few questions to consider the Mm -hmm. first few concepts that you know a philosophical disciple of yours should (laughs) should think through well so god's a very important concept um other concepts that are um, very important and i guess part of this it might depend on the context you know someone asking me after class so i'm in my academic environment or is it a guy from a girl from church or whatever asking me you know what I'm right, saying so right. I kind of would answer that probably different depending on the concept so give me but, the give me the two different answers yeah then. okay so if a person at church or another Christians asked me hey what kind of concepts are important to investigate um, I would say uh, probably concepts like belief and knowledge and probably right and wrong those are very important concepts that I would want to probably encourage them to look at. Um, if a person, say, was asking me after class what kind of concepts 
would be important would, would to look at as a philosophy in philosophy I would say um, God's very important um, the self is very important um, I would probably say knowledge and right yeah, and wrong yeah, to that person yeah. too so God knowledge right and wrong I think this is very important and has implications for Christianity is the the question about what we are you know are we an immaterial soul with a body yeah which uh, like I think um, I would say the nature of the, the soul or the mind is very important. So yeah. the philosophy of mind is all the rage nowadays. It's yeah. very important. Yeah. So <clears throat> I would probably probably encourage people uh, to go about it the way that I actually structure my uh, intro to philosophy class. Okay. So now you're, you're probably going to bust my balls on this <laughs> a little bit, but I so I would start by encouraging them to to do a little bit of logic. Okay. Now, now you're not going to bust my balls about that <laughs> because I do that by class. Where you what it's you are going to bust my balls about is that I'm going to encourage them to focus on the informal okay. side of logic, yeah. right? Yeah. Which hopefully, you know, my bosses aren't listening to this when I say that that's what I primarily teach mm -hmm. when I teach logic because I realize that uh, the majority of my students are not going to go on to be professional philosophers and yeah. I want them to be able to uh, use well the informal logic that they learn, right? So learning what is an argument, how do you construct an argument, how yeah. do you evaluate an argument, yeah. the the different fallacies that are presented in arguments, right? So that's probably where I'd want them to start, mm -hmm. which is how I start my intro class. I then move to epistemology, right? Because my thinking is, how can I make propositions about God or about... Uh, whether the, the mind and the brain are the same thing or whether mm -hmm. we have freedom or all things are determined, right? How can I make propositions about those things if I don't know those propositions, right? Yeah. And so I like to start with the idea of, you know, how do we know? How do we know that we know? Mm -hmm. How do we know that we know that we know, right? And, mm -hmm. then, uh, and then after that, after I've thoroughly confused them and, <laughs> and myself, right? Uh-huh. Uh, then I move into metaphysics, right? Okay. And I, and I uh, want them to think about, you know, are we one substance or, or more than that? Mm -hmm. Are we completely free uh, or yeah. are we not? And then these concepts and questions of God's existence, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, so for me, and, and that doesn't mean that ethics, and, and then I end with ethics, right? I try to kind of finish the semester on maybe what I would consider to be a, a practical end, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously, ethics has lots of theory to it, but it also involves lots of action, right? What we do, and mm -hmm. so trying to kind of kick them out the door, uh, kind of helping them understand what to do. So all of those things, obviously, I would consider to be really important, yeah. but probably the first thing that I would want people to think through would be the logic piece, right? Mm -hmm. the, the informal logic piece and that an argument, you know, doesn't have to be us yelling at each other, right? Yeah. That, uh, really at its most basic, right? An argument is a group of statements, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> Obviously it needs more unpacking than that, yeah. right? But but at its most basic form, it's, it's nothing more than a group of statements. So, um, 
So kind of coming back full circle to yeah. something that you had said at the beginning, right? You said that you are interested in the intersection mm-hmm. between philosophy and theology. And yeah. so, of course, to do a shameless plug, right? <laughs> and, and you had you had mentioned this uh, a couple of minutes ago, right? So um, for those listening, Jesse and I have uh, co-edited a book uh, called At the Intersection, and uh, again, Jesse and I co-edited it. Uh, I wrote the introduction. Jesse wrote a chapter on uh, largely what you have right. just addressed right yeah. now. And then we've we've had, uh, so what does that mean, seven other contributors where we're talking about this intersection of uh, theology and philosophy. And so uh, to maybe give a, not necessarily a tease, uh, on your chapter, which I, I suppose you actually are, have already done that a little mm-hmm. bit, but to give a kind of a tease about the book, how does philosophy relate to mm-hmm. theology? Yeah. Um, well, it relates um, because ultimately, as I believe there is actually a convergence between the two. Okay. Since so that's so so we, we discover truths and, and try and reason and argue them about them and not necessarily rely on settling the debate with a, an authoritative pronouncement such as the Bible or another philosopher or um, or the dictionary. You don't settle debates that way in philosophy. But then that doesn't mean that the scriptures don't um, aren't authoritative. They are, but just in the, typically in the discipline of philosophy, we're in trying to look at things through reason. So it seems like to me that those two would converge beautifully. That um, kind of what makes sense and what is well argued and um, supported by evidence and is coherent would seem to me to be. Ultimately, what um, God has revealed as well, even though when God has revealed, there's a lot of things I think we couldn't have known except God's revelation, like maybe God is a trinity. So it seems like those two would beautifully converge, um, uh, you know, because I think there's good arguments for God and, and the soul and knowledge and beliefs and consciousness and those sort of things. And those um, seem to nicely support uh, what the scriptures reveal and what you would systematically study in theology. And, uh, yeah, can I say specifically how my chapter sure. um, yeah. uh, illustrates or tries to demonstrate that intersection? So, again, I said God is the author of the moral law being infinitely good, and so any virtue that is actually good is going to be good in virtue of its resembling God's character since his character and what we're obligated to do is what God commands those are the same I argue um, but the reason why that's important for the theology is because um, if when we do something immoral and we all have it seems like well not it seems like if my theory is true that I just said then necessarily every immoral thing we've done is also a sin against almighty God and if it's a sin against Almighty God, then it appears that there's something wrong with that, that we need some kind of redemption, which seems to point to Jesus. So it seems like once we understand God is the author of the moral law, it helps us see our sin 
as being something very serious because it is an affront to God. And even when you don't realize it, uh, but the Bible says we seem to actually realize it through our conviction, but we just suppress the truth in unrighteousness. But I would also say it's also important because if I'm going to praise, let's say my wife is a kind person and right. she's compassionate, right. and I say, oh, Rachel, you are so compassionate and kind. Um, ultimately, that is morally good insofar as it resembles God's character. So if mm. I praise her or you for having courage, or, or actually I shouldn't use that example, courage, but um, if I praise you for being a loving person, right. then ultimately I am also unwittingly perhaps glorifying God because if you are good in various ways and that's true what more about the one who is infinitely good mm. so that's why I think mm. it relates to theology because it okay. ultimately gives God the, the glory that's due him okay very good so as we uh, as we kind of wrap up here uh, what are you currently thinking through philosophically what what are the hot button issues for you yeah what are you reading a lot on? What's because uh, I know that you are a fairly intense uh, man, and so uh, what? What are you uh, kind of driving that intensity towards right now? Yeah, I'm trying trying to look at the problem of evil is an area I'm looking at, just because it's a tough one. Can you really quickly tell hey, us what that means for well, those that don't know? Yeah, so the problem of evil is an argument against the existence of God from the nature of evil, from the abundance of evil, from the suffering we see, evil, and the horrible atrocities that have happened in nature, okay. and, in the world, in history, and, and the, those sorts of things. Uh, why would a good God allow that? Um, and if a good God was, was really good and existed, there wouldn't be that kind of thing. But there are those things, so he doesn't exist. That's in, it, in a nutshell, and that's a tough one. So I've been reading a lot about that. Okay. And I've been reading about uh, the intersection between um, philosophy, science, and theology. So okay. I'm kind of very interested. So I'd say those two yeah. things. Okay, great. Well, my friend, uh, thanks for uh, using this as an excuse to hang out. Yeah, uh, it's been it's been fun. Um, so uh, let's see. Uh, next episode uh, will hopefully be. Uh, what I had said in the introduction in episode zero, where uh, uh, I'm going to have uh, my friend Noah on, and we're going to talk through uh, deconstruction and, and reconstruction. Um, make sure to, uh, if I can ever get these uh, podcasts up on uh, iTunes, make sure you're uh, uh, reviewing them on iTunes and you know, you know giving giving me uh, undeserving good reviews. Uh, and then uh, you can follow uh, this podcast on Twitter at Dan Talks Pod. And then uh, our website is uh, dantalkspod.com. See you soon.